0: It's really good to be back with you, Cindy, and I had a wonderful, restful time, and uh, and yet every Sunday that comes along, we are missing our sweetheart church, so uh, it's good to be back and to worship with you. For those of you who are visiting, we're in the middle of a season of prayer. This entire year, we're devoting to prayer, and not just learning about it as we've been doing through our series on the Lord's Prayer, but but really doing it. There's not much point in learning more about prayer if ultimately we don't fall to our knees and begin to practice what we are learning. And so here's a wonderful opportunity. We have 168 hour slots to fill. We're going to pray from morning to night for seven straight days. And we're going to ask the Lord to just bring revival and renewal to us and to our community and to our nation I want to challenge you to do this. I'll bet some of you, many of you perhaps, have never done such a thing. But I would like to I invite you to sign up. There's a, a, a link that you can go to on, the, the, on there. You can go right on and register there. You can do so following the service if you don't like all that linky, phony stuff. Ph- I don't mean phony. I mean, you know, smart, phony, phone, phone stuff. <laughs> It's not phony at all. It's very authentic. Anyway, I hope that you'll join me. My life group is going to be taking an entire night, and we're going to be doing security, and we're praying. Let's do this. Let's see what God stirs in our hearts when, when His people pray. All right? Well, as I said, we are uh, in the, the uh, series on the Lord's Prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. And in fact, today is the very last uh, sermon on that, that series as we come to the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. A few weeks ago, I had reason to go to the Department of Licensing, and for reasons I won't go into, I went to the Port Orchard branch. I'd never been there before, so I, I drove up, and I walked into the door, and, and I found a guy seated there behind a table. And uh, he said, uh, good afternoon, may I see your ID, please? I said, may I see your ID? I've never had to show my ID to come into a department of licensing. What if you don't have your license? That is the whole point, right? But anyway, I pulled out my driver's license. I handed it to the guy. He looked at it very carefully, jotted some things down in a book, and then handed it back to me. He said, you may go right on in now. Well, thank you very much. So I walked in, and I was still kind of puzzled, and I walked through the door, and I stood, literally stood in the door because I had never seen a more psychedelic department of licensing in my life. (laughs) There were flowers painted on the ceiling like 1960's crazy flowers and sun rays and then I looked and there were shelving all across the back wall and glass jars one after another. Yes, you guessed it. I was standing in the Port Orchard marijuana shop. It turns out that the Department of Licensing was right next door. So I got out of there as fast as I could because I was sure there was going to be another Gig Harbor person who was coming to get a driver's license or to get a token. Either way, I, I didn't want to see them and I didn't want them to see me. And so my dash out of the door of the pot shop that day does make me mindful of the final petition that we're going to consider this day, which is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we have an ending that we use, a standard ending that everyone here would be familiar with. What's the last line we typically pray for the Lord's Prayer? For thine is the kingdom. And it's a beautiful way to end a majestic prayer, isn't it? Problem is, Jesus didn't teach those words. As you heard last week from Pastor Megan, those words were added by some poor little scribe three or four hundred years later who, who just could not stand that the Lord's Prayer ended so abruptly. It just didn't seem right to him, and so he just penciled this little suggestion into the text. But the earliest manuscripts, in fact, tell us that, that, that the Lord's Prayer does indeed end that abruptly. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Bam! Bam! It's kind of like the way I felt when I taught my daughter Rachel how to drive and we would come to stop signs and it was, you know, it's very jerky, it's very abrupt, it just doesn't quite seem finished. But that's the way the Lord ended the prayer. So I want to talk about that. There's not even an amen at the end of it. So there must have been a reason that Jesus would end his prayer in that way. I want to talk about it. First of all, lead us not into temptation. The very sort of prayer, that, sort, that prayer is actually kind of disturbing to some. Because we read elsewhere in the Bible that God never tempts us. And yet, we're praying that God would not lead us into temptation. What does that mean? Well, the word temptation there can also mean trial or testing. So, tuck that away in your head for a second. By the way, I'm going to get very nerdy, very theologically nerdy. So, you're just going to have to buckle up your pew belts and and hang in here with me today because I got excited about this text this week. So, the, the word temptation can also mean testing or trial. And then when you come, but deliver us from evil, we discover that the word can also mean the evil one the devil. All right? So when you take all of it together, it might be more helpful for us to interpret Jesus' teaching this way. Father, please don't allow us to be tested. Please don't lead us into a trial that would cause us to sin, that would cause us to go backwards in our confidence and faith in you. Please, will you protect us from evil? In fact, Father, will you deliver us, protect us from the devil who wants to do us harm? Only you can do this, God. Would you please do this for us? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But here's something I find fascinating about this this prayer. Jesus didn't practice what he preached. Jesus didn't practice what he told us to practice. Do you remember the last thing that happened to Jesus before he began his his ministry, his time of ministry, what's the very last thing that occurred to him that happened to him? The temptation of Jesus. Remember? The last thing that happens to Jesus before he commences his earthly ministry is his temptation. And so, if you turn back two chapters, only two chapters from where we are reading this Lord's Prayer teaching in chapter 6, we come to chapter 4. The very f- chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. Then Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Listen to it again. Then Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you say, wait a second, Jesus just taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And yet two pages earlier, we discover that God, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into temptation. So what gives? I see the temptation of Jesus, the story of the temptation, and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus kind of like parentheses bracketing the ministry of Christ, all right? So temptation here, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus here. And obviously, on this end, we know that Jesus conquers sin, he conquers evil, he conquers the devil, ultimately through his suffering, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection. We know that. And by the way, the devil knew that too. Which is why, before Jesus had preached a sermon before he had healed a person, before he had cast out an evil spirit, before he had done anything associated with his early ministry, the devil seeks to derail him right back here at the beginning in the temptation. And he fails. The temptation of Jesus is kind of a down payment on the resurrection and the ultimate victory that will come through the resurrection of Christ. And when Jesus teaches us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, He does so as the Savior who was led into temptation and who was delivered from the evil one. And when we read about this account of the temptation of Christ, then we, who want to be victorious in Christ in the way that we uh, live, we have an opportunity to to be trained to to learn how to do battle with the, the enemy of our soul. So I want to turn now to this remarkable story, and I invite you to listen to it. So Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And he said, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you lead us now not into temptation, not into wilderness, but into truth that we might see what the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us and we might live in victory against the wiles of the enemy. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. First thing you not need to, to understand about what what we're dealing with today, is that the devil is real. You might have been taught that it's a myth. You see pictures of him with pitchfork and horns and a tail. If you do that, it's diminishing the greatest power of evil that has ever existed. Jesus took the devil seriously. The scriptures take the devil very seriously. And in this account, we find Jesus doing battle with the enemy who would have destroyed his mission and would destroy your soul. So if you want to live in victory against the wiles of a devil who is still raging like a lion in this world, then I think we would do well to learn from the master who went into the wilderness on purpose, who did what he told us not to do. He was led into temptation and was victorious in that. I think we would do well to learn of the areas of temptation that in which, at which we can be struck, okay? Not all of these will apply to each of you. Every one of them will apply to us at one time or another in our life. And I'll bet somewhere you're going to find one of these that says, that is where I am. And you'll be strengthened in your battle for your soul so here are the four ways that I, there are four ways, four threats where I think the, the enemy attacks us. And the, the first one we discover in this uh, temptation story is that the devil attacks us in our identity, our identity. The, the first two times that he tempts Jesus, he uses the same opening words. Do you remember what they were? If you are the son of God, say it with me. If you are the Son of God. He opens the first two temptations that way. If you are the Son of God. Do you hear the contempt? Do you hear the suspicion? He's trying to plant a seed of doubt in the heart of Jesus. Trying to get him to question his relationship with his heavenly Father. But you say, how could there be any question about it? May I remind you of what took place. Where This account starts in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. If you back up one verse, the last verse... Of Matthew chapter 3. Do you remember the story that took place immediately. Before the temptation of Jesus. What was it? The baptism of Jesus. Right? It's baptism. Temptation. And ministry is launched. And the very last word that we read. In the story of the baptism of Jesus. Which we talked about. In the very first sermon of the series. We, I want to remind you. This verse. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. And behold a voice from heaven said. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God has just declared for all the world to hear that Jesus, in fact, is his beloved son. And yet the devil starts out his temptation by asking, by questioning Jesus' identity. If you are the son of God, if Satan could get Jesus to question his relationship with the Father before he started his ministry, the game was over. Do you ever find yourself asking that kind of a question? Does God really love me? Do I really belong to him? Am I really his son? Am I really his daughter? Are the things that I pray and say and sing on a Sunday morning are they really true? Whenever you find yourself asking that question, how could God love me? How could God adopt me? How could God make me one of his own? If you hear those things being whispered to your soul, that is the devil. He is trying to cause you to question your identity as a child of God. Don't you believe it? The devil is a liar. So he begins by attacking identity. Here's the second area of attack. Weakness. Weakness. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was starving. He was also tired. He was also lonely. And it was in that state that the devil tempts Jesus to take matters into his own hands. And he whispers this lie. God is not going to come through for you. That's the lie that he's, with. that's what undergirds this question. God is not going to come through for you. You are so hungry. God's not going to come through for you. So you better take matters into your own hands. Do a magic trick like they did in the wilderness. Create uh, bread out of nothing. Turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, that should be no big deal. And obviously the father, you cannot count on him to meet your needs. As you look back over your life, as I do mine, I'll bet you'll recall that some of your most spectacular failures came during a time of weakness. In Celebrate Recovery, they warn people not to make life decisions, to be careful about what they do, what they say, how they act, the decisions they make when they are in one of four states. If they're hungry, if they're angry, if they're lonely, if they're tired. What is the the acrostic for that spell? halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you are in that state, be careful. It's, an, it's a place where you can be tempted. It's a place where the devil can do his darndest. And, and when you find yourself there with this great sense of need, of loneliness, of hunger, instead of a quick fix, instead of inter, intervening, interceding on your own behalf because you can't count on the Lord coming through, don't do that. Because you're going to do or say something that you will regret and the devil just chalks it up as one more victory on his board. Every time we try to fill the empty places, the weak places in our life, rather than trusting God to do it in his time, in his perfect way, we are being seduced by the enemy of our soul. Don't believe him. The devil is a liar. Interestingly, the next area of temptation for Jesus was just the opposite. He has just come to him and tried to attack him in his hunger, his loneliness, his weakness. Now he, he tries to take him down through arrogance. Think about that. He takes Jesus to the holy city, up to the holy city. He takes him to the temple mount. He sets him up on the pinnacle of the temple which was perhaps 300 feet up in the air. And then he invites him to spectacularism. He said, you are the son of God. So throw yourself off. Throw yourself off. You can quote scripture. I'll quote it right back at you. God promises that the angels will take care of you. Nothing will happen. You are too important to his mission to let you die. So prove your thing. It will be a spectacular show. You deserve this. Notice how Satan and how the storyteller, Matthew, uses elevation to drive home this point. He takes him up from the wilderness, up to the holy city, up to the temple mount, up to the pinnacle of the temple. It is up, 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 up. Satan wants to exalt Jesus, to take him up, 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 so then he can bring him down, 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 down. How many remember in school learning the myth of Icarus? Remember it? Icarus and his father were held in captivity in a prison. It's a myth, a prison in Crete. And his father Daedalus forms wings made out of feathers and wax. But dad warns Icarus, do not fly too close to the sun. Icarus, of course, doesn't pay any attention to dad, and he sets, as he's free, he flies higher and higher and higher, and the sun melts the wax, and Icarus plummets to his death. It is a cautionary tale against hubris, against arrogance, against pride. It is such a dangerous thing. I think of all the things that I warn my young uh, uh, friends about, my young colleagues about. It is pride. They've got the talent. They've got the experience. They've got the giftedness. God could use them for great things. But the one thing that the devil loves to get hold of is your ego. And blow that up to the point where you think you really are that in a bag of chips. And I have seen dear pastoral colleagues and friends, enormously gifted people, who whose egos got the worst of them, and they end up crashing to the ground because of their arrogance. It could be that your area where you are able to be tempted right now is not weakness. Maybe the area that you are most susceptible to temptation is strength. You are so clever. You are so gifted. You are so smart. You are so charismatic. Everyone wants to follow you. Whatever you do, you find yourself being a leader because people are right there behind you and you know, you can be spiritually arrogant too. Have you anyone, any, probably not in this church, but has anyone ever known someone who was spiritually arrogant? They knew every Bible verse. They knew every bit of theology. They did their devotions faithfully, day, morning and night, and they didn't fail to tell you about it. In your strength and in your wisdom and in your giftedness, You might be tempted to presume that you are the top of the heap, that you are, in fact, the Lord of your own life, and that God really exists to bless you and satisfy you and protect you. Don't you believe it? It is a lie of the devil. So the devil attacks Jesus' identity. He strikes out at his weakness, and then he invites him into arrogance, and each time he fails and now we come to the last temptation, maybe the most insidious of them all, and it is compromise. Would you say that? Huh. We read that Jesus takes Satan, uh, that Satan takes Jesus even higher still, this time up onto a great mountain. It was a miraculous place, obviously, because while he's there, we are, we're told that he shows them all of the kingdoms of the world, and this phrase, and their glory, and their glory. And he says to Jesus, I will give all of these things to you. And in a sense you say, great, isn't this why Jesus came in the first place? He came to earth to reclaim his creation. He came to earth to save his world and to draw it back into relationship with the Father. All of these things would be possible. What a wonderful opportunity. The problem is that the way of his salvation The way of his reconciliation was the way of suffering and betrayal and death. It was the way of the cross. But what if there's a way to sidestep all of that, to bypass all of that? What if there's a shortcut? The devil says, I've got a shortcut for you. I will give you all of these if you will just fall down and worship me. Here's what's fascinating about that text. The word worship there, The Greek of the worship says it is a one-time event. It's in the aorist. It's a one-time event. In other words, the devil's not saying, you need to fall down and worship me from now on. No, no, he says, "No, no, no, I don't need that. Just one little time. One little moment of worship. Just bend your knee one time to me and you will get everything you want. If you will do this little compromise, you'll get everything you want without the cross. How many have fallen because of one little compromise? One little fudged expense account? One little white lie? One little click of the computer? Just make up one little alibi for your boss. Just doctor those returns a little bit. It's one little compromise. Who will know? Of course, the answer is, you know. And God will know and you will live in fear that others will find out, and they likely will. But there's something even worse about compromise, and it is this. It is infectious. Despite your promise to yourself, I'll just do this once, you never do it just once. Compromise breeds like rabbits. Rabbits. And soon your whole life is a minefield of compromise and all of the noble things you hoped to accomplish just by shaving the truth, by cooking the books, by stabbing the colleague in the back. It's a a means to a noble end. All of it collapses in a heap of failed dreams and broken relationships and ruined reputation. One little compromise. Don't you believe it? The devil is a liar. The more I thought about this this last week, and here's where I really start to get nerdy because I've never heard this before. But the the more I thought about it, the more I wondered if when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in chapter six, that he didn't have in mind what he had experienced in the temptation account in chapter four. I wondered, did he, through his experience, want to teach us to pray to do battle with the devil? When we face the same things that he faced. See if this makes sense to you. Knowing that the devil would attack our identity. How does Jesus tell us to begin the prayer? Our Father. Our Father. Knowing that the devil would tempt us to think more highly of ourselves. To put ourselves on the throne of our life. Jesus teaches us to pray. Hallowed be thy name. Knowing that the devil would tempt us to meet our own needs, to not trust God to come through for us, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And knowing that the devil would tempt us to compromise so that we might gain the whole world even if it meant losing our soul, Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe I'm making that up, but I can't help but believe that when Jesus taught that prayer, It was fresh in his mind the battle that he had just won. And he wanted to strengthen us so that in our prayer we could defeat the enemy where he comes at us. So he teaches us how to pray. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. But he also, in the account that I just told you about, he teaches us to fight. Did you see that? How is it that Jesus did battle with the devil? He did it the same way every time. He wielded the same weapon every time. What was the weapon? The word of God. He started every single response to the enemy with the same three words. What were those three words? It is written. Say it. It is. Say it again. It is written. And then he would quote a passage of scripture. I think Jesus must have been doing his devotions in Deuteronomy just before the temptation because all of the responses of of Jesus come out of Deuteronomy 6 through 8. So that's where he'd been doing his devotions the week before he was tempted. Every response, it is written. And then a quote of scripture. Even in his weakened state, Jesus, all he had to do was tap in to the reserves of God's word that he had stored in his soul, in his heart. And he had the weapon that could bring the enemy to his knees. It is good for us to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. But it is also good if we prepare ourselves for battle. And I want to tell you, beloved, I hope you listen to this. I told you from the beginning this journey through prayer was was as much for me as it was for you because I felt I needed to grow in my my prayer life and I invited you to join me in that journey. And one of the things that I've discovered, I think the, the strongest tool for transformation in my prayer life has been this, scripture memory. Memorizing scripture every morning as i walk to the tube, the newspaper tube 1.2 miles there and back i memorize scripture i use my phone and i look there and i memorize a passage of scripture out of romans 11 or romans 8 or psalm 120 uh, 139 or or philippians 4 i memorize it and reflect on it and pray about what i am learning from god's word and it has had this discipline has changed my life and i'd like to share a story that illustrates this and it's an embarrassing story that I almost didn't want to tell you because it reveals really a kind of a sordid side to your pastor, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I was flying back from Spokane a few weeks ago and I was, one on, on, I was flying on one of those cigar tube in a sky airplanes, you know, it's about this round. And I was on the aisle and getting ready to take off, I had an empty seat next to me and a really large uh, woman made her way down the aisle and she said, um, I'm, I'm seated there. And, and so I, I got up and, and let her uh, sit down. And, um, and she did all that she could to stay on her side. But it was impossible. And I had to, to swing my legs out underneath the armrest into the aisle in order for us just to have enough room to be together in that row. And I know because of all the traveling I've done in my past what my response typically would be. However courteous I might appear to be on the outside, inside there would be an internal dialogue of disgust and irritation and inconvenience and internal eye rolling. You know what I'm talking about? Um, so that's what would probably have happened, but the funny thing is, I had been memorizing Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And unbidden, that passage came to my mind as I sat uncomfortably in that seat. And in a situation where I would have been tempted and have been mean-spirited, self-centered, and critical, those memorized passages, that passage came to my mind and something remarkable happened to me. I found empathy for my seatmate. I found myself caring for her and willing to rearrange myself so that she might feel less self-conscious or embarrassed. And as I said, it might seem like a silly example to you, but for me, it was a real life experience of how God's word had transformed my heart towards someone I realized the true power of God's word to do battle with the temptation of the devil to think of my soul, my seatmate, as anything less than a beloved child of God. When I have God's word stored in my heart, Whatever my condition, whether I'm hungry or angry or lonely or tired or lustful or anxious or depressed, whatever the state that makes me susceptible to the attacks of the devil, if I can call up God's word in that moment when I don't even know how to pray, that is power. That is the sword and you can send the devil scurrying with his tail between his legs. And so I want to invite you to another place in our prayer journey together. In your bulletin, you'll find one of these. You see it? I want you to save this and take it home. If you open your Bible a lot, then you may put it in there. If you don't, then I want you to keep it with you. Put it on your console in your car. Set it next to the toilet. I don't care where you put it. A place that you spend a lot of time. (laughs) I have included here um, passages from Romans 8 and Philippians 4, two of my favorite passages that have such power words. And I want to invite you to, to memorize these words. Just start with one. I mean, how hard would it be for you to memorize there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How hard would that be? But I want you to memorize it and mull on it and chew on it and marinate in it and see if by doing this, plugging God's word into your heart, it doesn't begin to transform the way you think, the way you act, and the way you pray. You can do this. Don't give me anything about not being able to memorize. If you got your phone number memorized, you can memorize. (laughs) And so I want to ask, how many would be willing to take up my challenge this week, to memorize one verse of Scripture off of this, how many will say, yes, I will do that? I'm waiting. I want to see every hand. (laughs) Don't just let the devil take swipes at you. Fight back. And we fight back by saying, it is written. Let's close by um, two ways. First of all, I want us to pray the prayer. And I want to pray the prayer the way Jesus wrote it. Okay? So we are going to end with the phrase, Deliver us from evil. We're going to end there. And then we will close all of us this series by singing together the Lord's Prayer. All right? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, take your time. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.